hello and welcome to part two of our discussion regarding weed fundamentalism. This is straight talk from the Sober Chicks at Insight Counseling. I'm Sarah Benton. I'm a therapist here at Insight Counseling in Richfield, Connecticut. And I am here with Liz Jorgensen, owner at Insight Counseling. And this is one of our favorite topics to discuss. And that is, um, what does legalization actually mean with weed? And it's often part of conversations that, I don't know, I have a lot with young people where they make the logical fallacy. Thank goodness the Jesuits taught me well about logical fallacies. Weed is becoming legal, which kids think it's actually legal in Connecticut, and it's not. It's decriminalized, which I have to say politically, I actually agreed with decriminalization because it made, it took weed from being a felony that would stay on somebody's record to a misdemeanor. And we, because we had many patients that would actually wind up going to prison for a bag of weed, which I just thought was a stupid waste of my tax dollar. Thank you. Better off but, in treatment. Right. We want them in treatment and not in prison. However, I think what the problem is we do have three states in the United States at the, at the time of this taping, which is April 29, 2015, where weed is legal. And it's certainly an issue being debated all over the United States. And we're not here to say, you know, what is to be or not. But the illogical point that many of our young people make is, Weed is now legal, so therefore it's safe. Correct. However, they often feel, although alcohol is legal, that alcohol is more dangerous and that people are doing acting stupid and drinking and driving and doing all these things that they don't feel they do when they're high or that their personality doesn't change. And So they have a lot of arguments around, well, yeah, I understand alcohol is legal, um, but they don't seem to make the same comparison that, oh, wow, there's a substance that can, if it's abused, can can be negative. Again, tobacco is legal. It, it doesn't mean that these, that these things, particularly for people that are underage, even if it's legal and they're 15 or 14 years old, it's not going to be legal for them. Neither well, is it legal for them to be drinking under 21. So Let me give you a good case example. I had a young person um, pulled over recently. So he was 16 and a half in the car weed right there on the floor of the car and uh he decided to educate the police officer wasn't this lovely by reminding him that weed was no longer a crime and the officer laughed and said it is for you you're under 21. i really feel like and we're we're speaking to you from the lovely state of connecticut but i'm gonna bash my state a little bit we decriminalize without doing any public health campaign at all to explain mm. what does the law really mean well here i am to tell you just and i said to this young man okay but the reason you you got in trouble is you can't drive in your car with an open bottle of vodka in the front seat, even though vodka you're is illegal in every state. Like, Thank you. And you're under sixteen and a half. And then and then I have to say, even my cute, really cute, completely committed weed fundamentalists go, oh, uh huh. And I actually think it's a function of the really excellent public health education campaigns that have been going on in the United States for 20 plus years against tobacco use and against alcohol use. And it's interesting that we didn't think of or we didn't, I mean, many activists and researchers wanted a public health campaign about the dangers of weed or the potential dangers of weed to roll out before decriminalization and legalization. We haven't committed any resources to that because back to teenagers like you said, Sarah, teenagers will say, oh yeah, of course tobacco is always bad for you. Right. But they actually believe, but weed isn't as bad. Like weed is not harmful like tobacco. Again, that well, some of that data is still to be determined, but a lot of the data is proving that no, tobacco, tobacco there's actually, is and there's safer. no, And to be honest, 
the amount of tar in one in one joint of pot marijuana is my understanding about equal to a pack of cigarettes right. there's no filters there's, there's no, no filters and so it's interesting is i mean i just really want us to come to a point as a society where we have a lot of emerging science we know how to do public health campaigns um the other issue is and i really really need to say this i just feel like americans are just so gullible and dubious when it comes to propaganda of any kind i mean who is lined up to make huge money from the mass marketing of legal marijuana it's not a bunch of jamaican nationals who are now going to not live in po poverty and make millions of dollars it's the tobacco companies who have been losing revenue alcohol companies are 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 laying the infrastructure to be the sellers of marijuana for profit and and so of course they don't have any interest in a public health campaign to also warn our young people about what we can actually do for them they don't have any incentive to actually do that about alcohol either in fact they fought 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 warning campaigns and public health campaigns against tobacco i mean warnings against tobacco and i just feel like americans and i also point i always love to talk to teenagers about how like the man is trying to screw you do you know what i mean but like when i actually give them the science about like do you know that altria who used to be philip morris is like one of the main players trying to get weed legalized in the United States. And I mean, it's not the only one, because of course there's a lot of money to be made, so a lot of people want to get into it. And then teenagers will come. They won't jump the fence from the weed fundamentalists of the fact that they want to smoke, but all of a sudden in the middle of the conversation, Sarah, they'll start being pissed about the man getting in on the earthy, crunchy business of marijuana, because they have some kind of fantasy that it's like like organic farms. And but maybe Vermont. if it becomes mainstream, it won't be cool anymore. You know, I didn't even think of that. This is the counter-movement. It's a counter-movement? Oh, my gosh. But when start is it. it? When? When can it start? Because I'm so now. down. Oh. Let's just say you're not rebel. It's not, you're not rebellious yeah. anymore. It's legal. So before, I think parents were able to use leverage a lot more. Again, in certain, depending on what state you're listening to us from, around, well, it's illegal and this and that. It is still illegal. Uh, the fact that it's being legalized in different states, that's great. But there's still dangers and in fact we're what our part of our concern now is that the legalization is actually increasing the potency of the substance and and making it more dangerous um psychologically and and brain chemistry wise so that so those pieces are actually working against um against the benign argument so i guess the question is how do you have conversations with your children when we have clients come to us um they're in what i call pot wars with each other, um, where you know they've taken opposite ends of the argument and they're butting heads and parents and kids. the parents and kids and the the kids are the weed fundamentalists trying to convert their parents to see their way and um, and their parents are typically not budging and there's no movement on either side. They're at a stalemate. So part of our job here is to try to unstick that. I'll speak for myself as the mother of four. I think it's very hard to have a non-emotional argument with your mm. teenager on something that maybe worries you so much. But as much as possible, if you practice what you want to say to them beforehand and be wary of the fact that they're going to try to push your buttons and they're going to try to say all kinds of stuff to make you crazy. But if, as a parent, if you first start with the idea of, of telling your child that, that, that you don't want them smoking weed at all when their brain is developing because it's a safety issue, just in the same way that you make them wear seatbelts, just in the same way that you want them to wear helmets if they're playing football or whatever, you know, bike helmets. And they'll fight that, but you basically just, that's your position. Your position is, I love you, 
I need you to be safe when you're when you're on your own and you're out of this house and you're in college or whatever it is where it's actually statistically safer for you to smoke weed. I can't really control you. I really can't control you now. But these are the reasons from science that we, we need to keep you safe and talk to you about weed. Num number one, back to Sarah's point, our states have not made a very good de uh, job doing any kind of public health or, or even um, NIDA or whatever. I don't think they don't have the money, the resources to do a public health model. So it's up to us as parents to say, basically, just because something's legal doesn't mean it's legal for you under 21. So if you drive in your car and you have weed, you will be in just as much trouble in the juvenile court. And this is true for every state in the unit except the three where it's totally legal. So Connecticut, where we're speaking from, um, Massachusetts, New York, this is where a lot of our friends and clients are from. You get in trouble with a bottle of alcohol in your car, you get in trouble with weed in your car, period. And you go to juvenile court and you face a judge. And kids, honestly, in our practice right there, kids are, are shocked when they get arrested under 21 for weed. They're like... They, I've had two of my clients argue with a police officer and make it worse, telling the police officer that they couldn't be arrested because it was it was decriminalized. I'm not even kidding you. So if parents can say, no matter what you've heard from your friends, no matter what you read felony. on a normal website, it is still illegal if you're under 21. And if you get caught with it, or we find out you drove the car high, this is what the consequence will be. And, and the other piece I always look at is for leverage, and parents have leverage. If you own the car, if you own your house, and your kids are living in it. You know, these are pieces that are non-negotiable when it comes to when it comes to the license and the um, permits and all of that. I think it takes all of us to a new level, and parents need to take advantage of that in a sense, and, and that that's an earned privilege, mm -hmm. and also it's a liability for them as a family. But in our previous Part 1 podcast, we talked a lot about some of the counter arguments to when um when kids are really arguing about their right to smoke and i think that that using some of that information and having having a dialogue with your kids the truth is if you come down in a very black and white manner without any discussion yeah. they're going to go underground That's and true. part of what i try to encourage here when i'm meeting with families is despite a family's wishes of i want my I, I don't want my child to smoke, period, which is the most, most parents, that's their take. Um, putting that aside for a second and figuring out that, I'd, but I, but if that's not going to happen, my preference is that we have an open dialogue with our child about these issues instead of it being a non-issue in the house, a silent kind of war, and then their kids just sneaking. Mm -hmm. So that's part of it is encouraging the dialogue, but not necessarily condoning it. So there's that. It's, it's a dialectic, really. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a huge balancing act. I'll tell you an actual conversation that I've used with my kids, and I won't name which ones so that they, we can be semi-anonymous. <laughs> um, you're right. I, Daddy and I can't stop you from doing this. You're right. You're a teenager. You have a lot of freedom. There's a lot of things you could do and keep secret. However... We know it's a safety issue. We don't want you to damage your brain. If you do exercise your free will to do this, this will be the consequence that we'll put in place. And yes, we are doing that to keep you safe and to discourage you from doing this. And it's so hard, again, to keep calm when you say that. And then, of course, to be effective around the parenting, you have to follow it up. People have told me that I'm like a crazy Nazi, but my whole thing was, you want to drive this 3,000-pound 
piece of metal car yeah. where, where I'm most likely to bury you because of an accident in the car. You're not going to text when you drive. You're not going to speed when you drive. And I'm going to give you ran. Uh, I, I didn't do this up front, but I said to the kids, if if we already catch you smoking weed, you will then earn yourself random drug tests whenever we say for the privilege of driving a car. And I didn't preach it. I didn't scream it. I didn't yell it. It's just real calm, matter of fact. And then my kids didn't argue with it, but we've, I've had this conversation in my office where kids are arguing, but, 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 it helps me drive. Well, all the data shows, all the scientific data, hundreds of replicated studies, hundreds of replicated studies show all people who smoke weed have a delayed reaction time to up to 12 hours after. Wow. Okay? Delayed reaction time is the way you're most likely to get in a terrible car accident. You have a delayed reaction time if you're texting. You have delayed reaction time if you're drinking. You have a delayed reaction time with weed. There's no argument with it. It's the science. Now, you may believe you drive better when you're high. Because you're more cautious. Because you're more cautious. <laughs> but the science says no. And because I love you, I remember I used to hug my older son around his chest. He's almost 6'4", and I used to say, Christopher, I love you more than anything in the world, and I couldn't bear if something happened to you. So that was just a little way of reminding him all of the safety kind of rules that we had already set in place before he set out the door. And I think, Sarah, I don't know if you see this, most of the parents that I work with, hypothetically, they would love to set limits that way, but the emotions get in the way, and it, it can lead to the parents getting to that extreme position because I said so. The other Not piece is in that, this house, which yeah, never works. But the other piece is, though, if you don't have a good relationship yes. with your teen to begin with yes, so true. and there's other family issues going on that need to be addressed they're not going to listen around that's this one true. they're going to use this one as the one that you go to war over that's true so this is what i find is that it's i say it's not about the pot people right. come in here and they're talking about pot but there's also other stuff going on if the family system is healthier i think that there's more often more receptivity i agree around and it you know what i think this is such a a great topic for us to maybe revisit. Maybe we'll get some suggestions from some of our listeners about um, or more even areas questions, and questions. Yeah. And we really would love you guys email us, send us questions through the website. Um, I, this is, and I'll say to you, this is the very beginning of what I would like to devote a lot of my speaking uh, and consulting energy to. We need a nationwide discussion about a public health model about what marijuana actually does do. Uh, in, because right now, the pro-weed people have been able to push weed through the FDA without any experiments. Any other drug that we would invent and want to market has to go through rigorous experiments. Pro-weed people have been able to somehow push through most logical arguments. And of course, our young people are more than happy to repeat propaganda in the mm -hmm. weed fundamentalist um, religion. And, and I don't want to make fun of the people, but I really want to get more information out there so that people can actually have a rational discussion about these issues instead of us just as a society buying into the propaganda. I agree. I think more a little bit more mindfulness, too, around, yes. you know, about your relationship to pot, how, you know, how, how that may be changing, encouraging people to, like, observe, you know, do I have to smoke? Am I doing it because I want to? When I cut back, what happens? You know, all of these things are really important. So this is a huge topic, and it's becoming even larger as I think it becomes more of a um, political issue. So it trickles down to to our counseling center, really. You know, yeah. that's it comes all the way from the government all the way down to clients. 
And we were just recently at the Harvard um, Young Adults Conference, which was populated by mostly college um, half counselors, probably half, half private, half private therapists that deal just with young adults, and then the other half were therapists who actually are in the counseling centers mm -hmm. at universities all over the United States. And I asked a question to the audience before I started my speech, and I asked how many of the audience members were constantly having these kind of arguments with their clients. I think almost all of the hands went <laughs> up. So I know it's an issue that's affecting many of you, many parents. We will return with more. We'd love your questions and comments. We want you to take your health and recovery very seriously. But not yourselves too seriously. <laughs>